Let it be said, this church desires and seeks to be all about Jesus. And this this church that we're looking into, the church at Ephesus that John is writing to in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, is that by this point in the lifespan of that church, the false teachers have, have come in. These are people, these are members, maybe they're even pastors, who have led people astray within the church. They have created a lot of false hype. And, and people have, have brought into this false hype. They believe that they have secretly, that something secretly has been illuminated to them. That they have been given a secret knowledge. A secret knowledge about Jesus and a secret knowledge about what it means to sin or to follow this Jesus. They believe that it has been given to them through revelation, a, a, a knowledge that, that Jesus was not fully God and fully man. That he only appeared on the earth as a man, but he, he never really was. He was like a, 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 a ghost with, with skin. It's, it's a weird kind of understanding, but it's the best way I can paint the picture for you. That he was never fully man and fully God. That he was always just fully God. And so John is speaking into that. He, they also believe that this group within the church, that they, it has been illuminated to them that, um, that Christians don't sin anymore. Now let me tell you, it's, it's not because they don't do things that they shouldn't do, but that ultimately that's not sin for the Christian. That one within Christ, because they are united with Christ, because their spirit is united with Christ, that is completely saved, it is completely set apart, and so what one does in its flesh has no bearing on the spirit. That those two things are completely separated from each other. And so, so one doesn't, it can do whatever it wants. We are so free in Christ, that we can sin, but it's not sin. It has, it has no consequences. It brings no, no punishment. It brings no, no brokenness in relationship. So John, as he kind of continues these introductory um, statements through this letter at the beginning of 1 John, he's going to, to dive more into that second thing that we've talked about today, uh, not just the personhood of Jesus and of God, but, but also in relation to us and our relationship with our sin. Because now at this stage in the church, these people have left the church. They're taking people with them. They're gossiping, slandering, uh, being divisive. And it's leaving those who are remaining in the church wondering about the assurance of who is Jesus, wondering about the assurance of their own salvation, and wondering about the assurance of the church. Inside of this passage, we kicks off in verse 5 here. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. See, brothers and sisters, God is light. Everything about us begins not with us. At the center of the Bible isn't you and I. At the center of the Bible is God. And, and everything points to God. It is all about 
God. From beginning to end, it is a declaration of God's glory, of his personhood, of his redemption, of his character, of his attributes. And throughout the scripture, we get this word image of God being light. Sometimes it's a physical light, like when Moses was at the burning bush, and though the bush was consumed with fire, and it was explosive in this light, the bush did not burn, and yet it it was glowing in his midst. God is light. We see as the Israelites were wandering around in the desert that they were led at night by a pillar of light. But this, what John is specifically speaking to, isn't this idea of a a presence of life, light on the planet as much as it is a reflection of who God is. See, light often symbolizes also in Scripture uh, the knowledge and the purity of God. That God is pure light. He is, he is holy. That he, it refers to His moral perfection. It refers to His infinite knowledge. It refers to the ultimate purity of God. The ESV Study Bible, if you don't have that Bible, man, I would, continue, I would encourage you to highly get that one. The ESV Study Bible, there's this little nugget of information at the bottom on this very passage, and I like what it says. It says, God, who is perfect, has moral excellence. Anybody got here? moral excellence here? If you said yes, you lied. Thank you for proving to us you don't. All right? But God has moral excellence. And utter transcendence is, and this is in contrast with inerrant humans um, protesting and professing their innocence. So God is the only one that is pure. He is the only one that is completely clean. And, and yet we in our sin are constantly trying to say and illustrate that, that we're not as bad as, as we think that we are or even that the scripture would say. In the Gospel of John, several books earlier inside the New Testament, in John chapter 1 verse 4, speaking of Jesus, it says, In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And so not only is God the Father the light, but, but even Jesus himself is the light, and that this light then therefore gives life. That there is something in the pure nature of who God is that is able to create the life that is breathed into you and I. It also is the life that is breathed into what was once dead. And we call that resurrection. And that is the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. It's the hope that we have in the, the resurrection of us. We see this. And we understand that for one to understand whom God is in his very character and nature, that that is at its core, the the very beginning of our being. You must know this God. And in him, in this God, there is no darkness at all. Now, people really smart with the Greek language tell me that uh, this passage inside of English is actually what they call like a double negative. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Kentucky-fy this up here in just a second. Literally what it's saying inside the Greek is, 
In him there is no darkness at all. There is none. It's, a, it's, it's no, not any darkness, none. Make sense? All right? No, not any darkness, none. Is what this passage is saying. And, and John isn't as, as fluid in his Greek writing as the Gospel of Luke is. John uses very common language and common Greek for the listeners. But that, that's what it's getting at. It, it's saying that, that, that no, not any darkness, none whatsoever. There, there are no more imperfections in God. Everything he does is good, right, and perfect. If, if we were to show you a picture up on the screen today, a picture of our sun, which is the brightest light that you and I know of and can see with the naked eye. But if I was to take a real picture of that sun posted up behind me this morning, what would we all see? We would see dark spots in it. We would see cold spots in it. We would see spots on the surface of the sun that are not as bright, not as hot, not as pure as the other parts. It is not perfect. And yet, if I could, which I cannot, show you a, a glimpse of the light of the glory, of the pureness of our God, we would see no spots. There would be no imperfections. There, there, there would be no, no issues that he wished was better. There would be nothing in his character as you and I look into the mirror, or most of us look in the mirror, and, and we see things, man, I wish that this was different about me. When, when God, if he was to look upon his, a mirror of his own creation, he, he would not see any imperfections. Because he is light, he is, he is pure, he is morally and righteous, he is, he is perfect in every way. There are no blemishes in our God. And so how does a man who is broken, who is filled with blemishes, who is totally depraved, who, who thinks upon evil continually, whose heart is deceptive, how, how can man, earthly man, be in relationship with a holy, pure God? So John continues as we, we speak into this, as we read these passages. He says this in verse 6 through 8. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, to be in Christ, John is trying to tell this church that if you're, if you're going to be with a holy, perfect, anointed God, the, the, the perfected one, then to be in relationship with him, then, then we too must walk in that light, that we walk in that purity. That we no longer walk in darkness as we once did as children of wrath, but for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, if we're truly in Christ, then, then darkness and, and light, they cannot mix. They cannot coexist. As soon as you walk into a, a dark room and flip on a light, there's no darkness. You know where the light is. 
even if that light is dim. Um, you guys know I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a redneck, and I love to hunt. And so um, I, I love to do it. I've been doing it with my dad since I was a little bitty kid, and, and I think my dad is using the same exact flashlight for 41 years. Like, if you're, if you're, anybody got a dad like that? Right? This little black thing, and it's covered in, in this rubber. It's got this yellow cord. That's how long, I, I can describe it to you that much. And we were making fun of him over and over and over at Christmas because we went hunting a few months ago and we walked on through these ditch woods in which he bought batteries. And if your batteries are bigger than the flashlight, guess what? It's called the 1800s. <laughs> right? So we're walking through these woods and, and my dad bought brand new batteries for this flashlight. And the entire time, you ever had a dad like this? We had to keep beating the, beating the flashlight. Some of y'all going back here. It's like 80s right here. All right? He's he beating this thing, brand new light, to get it. To, and I, I finally told my dad, I said, Dad, if you'll light a match, you'll have more light than that flashlight you've got right now. <laughs> well, son, I've had it for 20 years. It still works. We can't see you. <laughs> All right? But the thing is, is even though it was dim, I would get glimpses occasionally of that very faint light of my dad's, and yet I knew where he was. I knew where he was immediately. Even though it was faint. And the closer he got to me, the more clarity there was of him. For man to be in relationship with this God, then he must be close to him. He must be near to him. And, and though this does not change the, the character and nature of God, what we can see and experience can, can often be determined on our position of closeness or our proximity of relationship. Our simple nature has led us to lying and deceiving ourselves and others. It says here again in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Let me just break this down. Stop your lying. Eric Becker. Stop your lying, Mission Church. It's always confusing when, when people profess to have this robust relationship with Jesus and yet everyone around them is wondering if they're even saved at all. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy the Bible's telling you. I'm just reading the Bible this morning. It's like, stop. If you say that you have a relationship with Jesus but, but you're walking around in darkness, that that the gospel light, that God himself has not illuminated every corridor of your life. Stop lying to yourselves about the darkness that you are in. Scripture calls that non-Christian. Inside the church, it's known as a false convert. It's a person who professes it with their lips. And yet they do not know the realities of this Jesus. Why? Because of this very 
darkness. Non-Christians and false converts walk in darkness. They, they walk in deception. They walk in lies. They create false narratives for themselves and they create false narratives for others. They ignore. They justify. They make allowances for their sins. We live in a, in a, in a culture and a time of which people will say things like this. Well, it's my truth. Well, your truth can be a lie. It's true for me. Well, that true for you is a, is a lie. It's my truth. It's, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And yet Jesus is he's, he's speaking through John to get, get some clarity amongst this church that are, are greatly deceived by the great deceiver into believing that they have, again, this, this radical, robust faith in Jesus. They know the language, you guys. We're not, we're not talking about people, these Gnostics who had this illuminated thing about the, the, the humanity and the deity of Jesus. These people are all saying that they're Christians. Do you get that? They got the Bible memorized. They know cute little songs about the books of the Bible. They're packing Bibles into churches. They're standing in pulpits. They're, they're called deacons. They're called elders. They're called members. These, these men and women who are, are gone astray, who are believing a lie, are still claiming to be followers of Jesus. We're not talking about the militant atheists out here. We're not talking about hashtag empty the pews. We're talking about people sitting inside the church claiming to be followers of Jesus who are greatly lost because of the darkness in their hearts and in their lives. In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works of evil. Later on in John chapter 8, he's going to say, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, For, for the time, uh, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of the light. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Take no part in unfru unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I don't care how hard you try. Brother got a sunburn, we know it. Right? And don't you just love it when you got that, that red face? You know, everybody know what I'm talking about? That just lobster red face. And Captain Obvious walks up to you and says, you got a sunburn. And you're like, don't touch me. Right? We all know when people have been exposed to the light. And, and that's what the, the illumination of the scripture, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That Jesus is, is not some philosophical light, but that Jesus is the light. And if he is the light, then according to those other passages, he is also the life. And without the life, you don't have one. You're in darkness. See, the church thing to do is, 
is to live this life of pretending to be in the light while simultaneously living a double life of darkness that you believe is in secret. When something is brought to the light, what happens? What does that mean? It's, we even say that term, brought to the light. What do we mean by that? We mean that it's, it's been exposed. We can clearly see it has been illuminated. And John is wanting them to see there, there are wolves in sheep clothing among us. Deception is always attractive. Do you get that? Deception always draws a crowd. Deception always lures us in. Those in darkness do not want to be exposed. See, brothers and sisters, Mission Church, our temptation is to be more fearful of being caught by man than standing before the judgment seat of Jesus. Do you get that? Oh, you get it. We get it. We do not want people to know what is really going on. There's a masquerade party that happens every week, and it's called the Sunday Morning Gathering. We're good at it. We're good at it. Not the messiness. For years, people will be in pain and sorrow and abuse and in, in sin, sexual immorality, addiction, all these sorts of things. And, and they'll be experiencing these for years and years and years and years and years and doing all sorts of things, even covering up with makeup the abuse of their own heart and hoping that the reality of their situation is not exposed to the people sitting in the pews next to them. Because we're more fearful of being exposed to each other than we are before standing before the judgment seat of Jesus. Because he already knows all of those things. He knows those things. He knows them. When it talks about this passage here, it's, it's talking about the idea of walking in light and walking in darkness. It's not talking about taking a single step into darkness. The idea of walking, it means a pattern, that you're, you're seeing this habitual situation that's taking place. If, if, I see some, if I see you, and hopefully you're, you're giving me the same grace here, that if we see each other kind of have this out-of-body character moment of sin that comes oozing up out of us, and let me tell you, if you're friends enough and you're, and you're community enough, you're going to see this. And if you see this occasionally happen, I don't think that it's cause for any of us to lose our minds. But if, if somebody comes to you, or if we come to each other, we, we're seeing this pattern, this consistent pattern. There is great cause for alarm there. And John is speaking into that, into the life of this church. This walking is meant to illustrate a pattern of life. 
This begs in this even very moment, if you were to look at the last seven days of your lives, brothers and sisters, friends, what's been the pattern of your life? If we're going to have a community, and we're going to be a community of light, then, then we cannot walk in darkness. But, but that is our temptation. Uh, Rebecca M- McLaughlin, uh, she's an author. She wrote a book called Confronting Christianity. She writes for TGC. That's together, uh, the Gospel Coalition and, and other blogs and things like that. She tweeted out this week, and it worked great in our sermon, so I was like, still, insert. She says, I'm off to the dentist. I've known I've had a cavity for months, but have failed to prioritize going because of life. I'm like a walking illustration of letting sin grow in the dark while we deem other things more important than addressing it. See, for months, brothers and sisters, um, I've been standing in front of you in pain. We went on vacation, and I, I was walking across the boardwalk, and I got a splinter in my foot. And I remember doing it, and so on and so forth. And so for months, I didn't tell Laura or anything like that. I was like, it's a splinter. I'll take care of it. A few days go by. A few weeks go by. Months go by. And we're at Thanksgiving, and my sister goes to tickle my feet. And I said, oh, no. No, no, no. I was like, don't touch my feet. I mean, immediately. And she was like, what's wrong? I was like, I got a problem with my foot. I was like, I think I have a splinter, and I've had it since we've been on vacation two months ago, and I can't get it out. And so for months and months and months, I've been walking in pain that you had no idea. Every Sunday morning as I've stood up here, I've been in pain since October. Because I didn't tell anybody. And I was like, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. So I've cleaned it. I've peroxide. I've tried every home remedy. So finally I talked to Stephanie. And I was like, hey, Stephanie, what do you think I should do about it? She gave me all these home remedies about what I should do about it. Guess what? I tried every one of them until this last week. It got so bad. I was like, man, I'm so sick and tired of doing this. And I was complaining to my wife about it, who's watched me now. She's known about it, and she's just watched me dabble in my sin. Till finally, she got sick and tired of me being sick and tired about it, that without my permission, sitting right next to me, calls a podiatrist and schedules me appointment. It took, though, going to someone who is an expert in my issue to finally get the help that I needed. Though I've been walking around for months in pain that could have been solved and healed. But because of my arrogance and pride, and and I'll take care of this myself, all it did was fester and, and become more and more infected. What an illustration for the issues of our hearts as we often are, are dealing with these things. By the grace of God, you know, by the grace of God, I am not addicted to alcohol. By the grace of God, you guys, I've been faithful to my wife and I'm not addicted to pornography. 
by the grace of God. But you know what? Throughout the 41 years of my life, I guarantee that I've had enough lustful thoughts to fill this room. And that's the reality of our lives. That's the reality of what the shadow of death that we are walking in. That's the reality of... And, and again, maybe my thing is not your thing, okay? That's, that's what we've got to get to, is that, that, that Jesus is saying through the Gospel and, and, and through First John here that, that there is a freedom that is found in Jesus. There is one that ultimately knows every thought. And He deems you child. He deems you son. He deems you daughter. And so there is great freedom in, in, in the Christian for those of us to, to, to put a war up and, and to fight against walking in this darkness alone when the one who is all, who is holy, who is pure, knows all of those things past, present, and future, claims us as his own, and when we begin to rest in Jesus and rest in God, who knows us and has exposed everything in us, then when it comes to sharing with one another what's really going on in our lives, as Martin Luther says, the Christian life is a life of repentance. It is a life of confession. That this isn't just something that we've got to really get worked up to do, but it's rather, hey man, hey sister, this is what's going on. See, the temptation is for you to live in what's called secret sin, which is such a deception of the enemy because that thing doesn't exist. God knows. In a gospel-centered church and in a gospel-centered life, it doesn't matter what I tell you. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be earthly consequences for that. But that we as a community are doing these things. In Romans chapter 13, I wish I had more time this morning. I don't. It says though, at the very end of this passage, where it's talking about all the things like people do in light, and then it gives you this like nasty list of things that people do in the dark time, at night time. Like how many of you have got trouble a lot of time at night that you didn't get in trouble for several years ago at lunch? But it was after dinner. I talk to my college students, it's how you know you're old. I'm like, okay, when do you guys go out? They're like, 10, 11 o'clock, that's when the parties start. I'm like, oh, I've been asleep for three hours. <laughs> that's how you know you're old. Right? Jeopardy goes off, it's like, it's time to go to bed. Right? I have to fight to stay up with my wife and my kids. Because I'm tired. But those are the things that happen when they often happen at night. When do they happen? In the darkness of your own room. When do they happen? When you're by yourself. When you're not in community, you're more likely to sin. When you're in community and you're sinning, it's probably because that community is sinning with you. Right? Can I get an amen? Right? Like a lot of sin is not fun by yourself. It's done so in community. And likewise, your healing also comes not by yourself, but in community. In community. But in, in Romans, yeah, I totally got out there. Romans chapter 13, the very end of that, that passage that gives you the two lists, it says this, make no provision for your flesh. 
Quit saying it's a small lie. Quit saying it's just a peak. Quit saying she wasn't completely naked. Please quit saying uh, it was yoga pants or it was only a little bit of this or a little a bit of that. That it's it's okay. It's not it's not as bad as what everyone else is doing. But no, rather take those thoughts captive. What Martin Luther constantly was getting trouble with. We talked about this a little a few months ago. We we're talking about um, the Reformation. Was that he was constantly annoying the other priests because he wouldn't stop confessing every sin. And so he would spend hours inside the confessional booth, walk out, something else would come to his mind, he would step back in until finally the brothers, the priesthood, uh, would tell him, hey, please don't come back here until you've done something really bad. But I think Martin Luther had it right. I think he had it right. God is light. We're to be a community of light. But that means that we must individually and corporately walk in the light. Stop lying to ourselves. We see this, that confession leads to cleansing. We must come to the ends of ourselves. We must, we must come humbly and to understand the depths of our sin. And in understanding the depths of our sin, we, we truly then begin to experience the depths of the forgiveness of Jesus. Union with Christ completely exposes the depths of who we are. It removes both the lies we tell ourselves and the lies we tell other people. Mission Church, please, can we stop lying? How's your marriage? It's good. Lie. How's parenting going? It's good. Liar. You know, they say things like, well, they're in the terrible twos. Let me just tell you, they're terrible from birth until they leave your house. But we love them, right? They're the most bipolar little creatures God has ever created. They are, they are part child as a teenager and part full-grown adult. But you never know which decision they're going to make. Which one are they going to be in this moment? Because it's going to change in the next one. Right? How's your job? You hate it. You hate your jobs. Most of you. Right? Life is not going how you expected it. It's not going how I expected it. So let's quit. Quit deceiving ourselves. Quit lying. Because if we say that we're without sin, what is this? I mean, this is this will get you right here. If we say that we have not sinned, we, we've made him, that's Jesus, a what? A liar. And his word is not in us. I've said this before, but we're all far more... We're far worse than any of us could ever imagine than any of us are in this room. We're far worse. And Jesus knows all of it. And if you're in Jesus, he still calls you son. He still calls you daughter. So be free, believer. Be free, Christian, in, in Christ. To receive the rebuke and the discipline because he loves you. 
He loves us. Confession leads to cleansing. We determine if we're walking in the life and we're con- constantly and consistently confessing our sin. Continual confession, again, is the life and the pattern of the believer. It's, it's not something that we just put on the order of worship. All right, the confessional prayer goes right here. But it's something that we daily practice. Proverbs 28.13 Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. God is pure. He is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. So John tells us earlier in this passage, Don't sin! Quit it! Quit justifying it. Quit excusing it. Quit quit making up excuses for your sin. Quit doing it. Make war against it. Be putting it to death. And yet simultaneously in this passage tells us what? And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So He's going to say that God is pure. You be pure. That's the pursuit. It's purity. It's holiness. We want to be like God. And please... Please understand this, especially if you're a non-Christian here this morning. Is the Bible is not a book about do's and don'ts. It, it is not about this pharisaical rule book of all the things that we can and cannot do. I mean, think about it. Your relationship, for those of us, if you have a, a, a relationship with somebody, specifically a marriage, no one describes that marriage as, yeah, I'm in this marriage, and when I got married, they gave me this rule book of all these things I can and cannot do. Right? Stop laughing. And no one thinks about that. You got a good marriage? Yep, I've been obeying all the rules. You don't think about that. If you had a good one. Right? But are there rules in your relationship? Well, that better be. That better be some some boundaries. <laughs> right? I don't go on dates with other women. Now Laura has never had to tell me that. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? My relationship with her with her, my fellowship with my wife though, it isn't determined on, oh, did I keep that rule today? No. It's it's there. But it's not the determination of my relationship. Do we get what I'm saying here? Likewise, or in a smaller illustration, or in a greater illustration, our relationship with Jesus is not about do's and don'ts. Are there? Yes. Absolutely. There are boundaries there to create life and not break fellowship. He wants us to be in fellowship with Him. To have a good relationship. That's why they're there. He's not a you know, killjoy. He's not trying to ruin the party. We experience this all the time in our relationships with each other, especially in a husband and wife situation, but also with our kids. Um, I was trying to explain this some to, to Ava even this way, is that, that here's the deal. At the end of the day, there is nothing that you can do to make me love you any more. 
than I do right now. And there's nothing that you can do to make me ever love you any less. I'm talking about anything to make me love you any less than I do currently as your daddy. Your position will never change this side of heaven. But our fellowship can be broken. Our positionally, we're the same. But relationally, there can be a problem there. You know what I'm talking about? We got some young married. Y'all had a fight yet, Morgan? <laughs> You're still married, right? Been married a few months here. And, and you know that awkwardness. Laura tried to pull it on me yesterday. I was... But what did I immediately feel? Was she still my wife? Absolutely. I still love her. She loved me. But there was, there was like, oh, and you feel it. It's a relational like, ooh. Something's not right here. Positionally, we're the same, but the fellowship is broken. And so what do we do? You pursue reconciliation with that. Here's the deal. You will never achieve it. We are constantly the one giving our backs to the Lord. And the hound of heaven is the one who is constantly pursuing you in his grace and mercy to physically turn you back around his presence. Your pastors are not the hound of heaven. The membership is not the hound of heaven. Jesus, his Holy Spirit, is the hound of heaven. Does he empower the congregation, the membership, all those sorts of things to help in that turning? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, he is not turning you to face me. He is not turning you to face the membership. He is turning you to look at Jesus in the eyes and in the face. That's the goal of the community. Two quick points of application in three minutes. Application number one, you need to be in a confessional community with Jesus. To this day, I ask the Lord to bring up sins in my life from even before I knew him. so that I might confess them before Him. Are they forgiven? Absolutely. Does He know again everything I'm going to do? Everything I'm going to confess? Yes, but He's also created the means by which your broken fellowship with Him is restored. And one of those ways is through your verbal or written, journaled out, or the groaning of your hearts, confessions of your sins, because many of them are only known between your cranium and his throne room. Isn't it crazy some of the most wicked of thoughts that can come into some of the nicest of people? And you're like, where did that come from? The devil. That's where it came from. Sin, Satan, death. You guys know that we have an enemy that seeks to destroy you. 
I heard this week from one of my favorite authors. His name is Jared Wilson. He's writing a book that's about to come out called The Gospel According to Satan. And in that, he quotes my favorite pastor, Ray Ortland, who him and, and, and Jared Wilson are friends because Jared Wilson used to be a pastor in Nashville. Ray Ortland's in Nashville. And he was sitting across the table one day from Jared. And he said this, Jared, here's the deal. Do not know that the enemy, Satan himself, has a file on you. And inside that file... He knows exactly what it will take to make you walk away. And he's using whatever's in that file, which isn't the same that's in my file, to make war against you. Brothers and sisters, we've got a real enemy. And some of you guys haven't woken up yet that we're in a fight. That we're in a war. It's one of light and darkness. Sometimes your kid is being a jerk because they're a jerk. Sometimes they're being a jerk because not just because they're fallen individuals. Sometimes, though, it's, it's a spiritual thing that's happening in your home. Same thing in your marriage. Same thing in the church. It wants to make war on the community in fellowship with Jesus. You need to be in a confessional community with Jesus. None of this makes sense unless you know Jesus. It all begins with Jesus. One minute for the last one. You need to be in a confessional community with others. This week, I don't think it's, I think it's sovereignty that we're starting MCs this week. MCs, missional communities, are, are not something that we go to. It is not an event of this church. It is who we are. It is a confessional community. Please let me reiterate this. MCs, the Bible teaching, is what I'm doing this morning. The Bible teaching is, is what happens at our men's the theology night and this women's theology night that we're starting. That's where a lot of the teaching takes place. But at the core of a missional community is care and concern and gospel for what's really going on in your life. It is not primarily a Bible study. It is primarily soul care with the Bible. Do you get that? It is soul care for you. It is a confessional community. Fellowship with Jesus, fellowship with us. To have fellowship with us is to have fellowship with Jesus. To have fellowship with Jesus is to have fellowship with us. And fellowship is, is, is the koinonia means what's in common here. And the common thing is Jesus. You've got to be that. We've got to be more than just sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. You know that there's a difference between being there and being present, right? You've all experienced, if you went to have lunch with somebody and they spend their entire time on their phone, like they're there, their bottom is in the seat. But they're not there. You know what I'm saying? It happens every Sunday morning, happens every MC, happens every date night, every time you're with your kids. What are you wanting you're wanting presence. And for us, that takes place on Sunday mornings. It takes place on a Wednesday night. It takes place in our men's group. It takes place in our upcoming women's group. Presence. There is nothing more important, unless it's an emergency, than what's happening in that present moment. Mission Church. May we be a confessional community with Jesus.
And may we do the it's hard. May we do the hard work to fight against the drift of becoming a solo or a silo. May we do the hard work of pressing into being a confessional community as a believers. Let's pray.